Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The following program is a production of Chilling Entertainment and the creative team at Chilling Tales for Dark Nights and a proud member of the Simply Scary Podcast Network. Visit simplyscarypodcast.com to learn more about this and our other weekly storytelling programs and become a patron today to show your support and get instant access to our extensive archive of downloadable ad-free tales of terror. Thank you for listening. And enjoy the show. <laughs> Good evening. I'm storyteller Otis Gyre, and I ain't your grandfather. From where I'm from, we don't do bedtime stories. And if that's what you were expecting, you're in the wrong place. If it's terrifying tales you're after, well then, I've got just the thing. Get comfortable, settle in, turn off the lights, if you dare. Your night is about to get a whole lot darker. <laughs> Who needs sleep anyway? <laughs> Good evening, you're listening to Scary Stories Told in the Dark. Welcome to bonus episode number four. I'm your host, Otis Jiring. In tonight's episode, I'll be performing two stories for you about wicked walks and conniving counselors, both of them plumbed from the depths of my extensive audio archives. I sincerely hope you enjoy them and that you'll join me each and every Wednesday for more terrifying tales from my creep-filled crypt. If you'd like to show your support and enjoy even more tales from my archives, visit simplyscarypodcast.com and click Patrons in the upper menu bar 
to sign up as a patron today at Chilling Tales for Dark Nights. There, you'll get access to my audio archives dating back to 2012, including one-off stories and extended episodes of my podcast, all of them ad-free. Thank you for your support. Now, it's time to take a walk together down the moonlit trail. So, lock your doors, turn your lights down low, settle in. The show is about to begin. <laughs> Our first tale of terror this evening comes to us courtesy of an author who goes by the moniker Nihilist. In it, we travel to the swamps of Louisiana, where one unlucky gentleman has no choice but to walk home following a shift at his job. And you never know who or what you might encounter walking alone at night on a stretch of Louisiana backroads. If you're lucky, whatever you come across will just pass you by. But then again, things could go south. (laughs) Deep south. (laughs) Without further ado, I present to you, In the Bayou. If you want to understand why I left the place I was at... You're really just going to have to hear the entire story, Shaw. You won't believe it, of course, but your skepticism means nothing. Because what I saw that night on the bayou has been with me ever since. In my mind, in my thoughts, and sometimes even my dreams, it exists as a disturbing memory that I cannot shake away. That will never go away just so long as I live. It will be one of those things so terrifying that it'll still be just as keen in my mind on my deathbed as it was the day it occurred. But whether you believe it or not, I'll tell it to you anyway. It's not only to serve as a warning, a plea for caution, if you ever find yourself near the swamps late at night. At the time... I was working at a shitty little fast-food place. Now, Shaw, the only thing worse than working at a shitty fast-food place is working at a shitty fast-food place on the night shift by yourself without a vehicle, especially when you just so happen to live in the heart of rural Louisiana. Such was my case some years ago, the night that this event happened to me. During this time... I lived quite a few miles away from the restaurant I worked at, and due to my lack of a vehicle or any access to a public bus system, I was dependent on others for my transportation to and from work. One night, after a busy evening of serving customers, I closed the store and locked up the restaurant. When I phoned for my ride, nobody answered. Now, I'm not here to throw a pity party. But I can't help but to express anger at the fact that the person who drove me to and fro to work was my roommate, who had a car but no fucking job, and I was basically the only person in our house who paid the rent at this time. And this loser had the carelessness to fall asleep, leaving me no fucking option but to walk 
again. This was not the first time this had happened. The first time this had happened, it took me an hour and a half to get home, walking briskly. And to those who have never been to the rural regions of Louisiana, you got no clue, Shaw. Here we have what is called a bayou. It's basically a swamp. Thick, murky, moist, frog-laden, mosquito-swarming, gator-infested, crappy-smelling swamp. With thick, tall grass, cattails, cypress trees, and heaves of pond scum. <laughs> and I just so happened to live on the bayou, all the way down a long dirt road, with hardly any lights for the streets, and thick swamp on both sides of the road. There are no side roads, and the houses down this street, they separated sometimes by more than a quarter mile apart. It's not merely spooky walking down this road at night, it's fucking terrifying. You hear sounds, both real and imagined, coming from the bayou, chirping, croaking, howling, grunting animals the rustling of leaves and branches in the canopy of the cypress trees, and the splashing water from underneath them. That's the worst. Oh. You can hear the sound of something lurking nearby abruptly dunk underwater. It could be a turtle, a snake, or a gator. You never know. You just keep walking, with your teeth and hands clenched tight, hoping nothing crawls through the tall grass next to you and onto the road. Or even worse than the subtle dunking sounds, the sudden splashes that that happen when you're walking and scare a toad or a frog and it jumps into the water. Their sound makes you almost shit yourself as you begin a running spree that lasts about three seconds before you realize what it was. And then you left with your heart pounding so hard that the sound of your blood gushing in your temples scares you just as much. These are the types of things that happen when you in the bayou. This is what I had to look forward to that night, as my asshole roommate slept, sprawled out on the sofa with the television set, probably tuned into reruns of the Three Stooges and the Marx Brothers. And don't get the impression that I simply called once and gave up. You can trust that his cell had around seven or so missed calls, three very unfriendly voicemails, and several aggressive text messages. I could just imagine his phone laying in another room of the house, softly vibrating, in my desperate attempts to reach him as he snored. But eventually I gave up, and having just about no other friends to contact in the area as a recourse, I stopped by the nearby gas station, grabbed an energy drink, and began my ways back home. Now, you must understand, Shaw, the first 30 or so minutes of my walk, eh, not so bad. I'm still in the most populated part of town, and there are streetlights, stores, houses, and cars passing by in large numbers. That's important. If there are a lot of cars going by you, you feel safer than when there are very few cars going by. Because when there are only one or two cars that pass you every three minutes... That means there could be a psychopath in one of those cars, and they may have just enough time to stop by and murder you without being caught. But if there are a lot of cars around, there may be psychopaths passing by, but they'll most likely not kill you then because there are too many people around to witness the crime. At least that's my reasoning. I digress. 
no psychopaths pulled up next to me as I walked out this part of town. Next, there comes a time in my journey where I have to turn down several suburban neighborhoods and walk some streets to get to where I'm going. And here's where things get a little less safe. And I have to be a little more cautious. There's less traffic down these roads, and you never know when some punk or gang may be hanging out in some empty lot or house who might mess with you or try to pick a fight or mug you or just take an empty bottle of malt liquor and bash your skull in, you know, as an initiation ritual or something. These are the thoughts that go through my head as I walk this region, and they keep me on my toes until I reach a point where houses become fewer and fewer and the bayou begins. This is where the dirt road leading to my home is, and that's where I found myself this night, on foot. I look down the narrow road, you can only see it so far before it fades into misty darkness. I resented that I would have to spend the next hour walking its distance until I reached home. But anger took hold of fear when I thought about how all of this could have been spared if not for the neglect and carelessness of my roommate. When I got home, I was really going to have it in for him. I truly considered at that time the possibility of physically smacking his damn face. And with this thought in mind, I launched defiantly down their road. And the further I walked, the darker it became, until no light shined but the stars and the sliver of the moon above me. Very soon, the sound of any vehicle was completely non-existent. There was just me, the road, and the bayou, and whatever creatures dwelt there. I heard the crickets chirp and the frogs croak, and the occasional bird coo. To avoid fear, I focused on their chorus, and let their sounds preoccupy my mind. I walked, watching my shoes press into the sandy dirt as I placed one foot in front of the other. I could count my steps until I reached 100, and then I'd begin again. I tried to lose myself in the repetition. My shoes became damper and damper, and I felt the soles of my feet become moist. I stopped counting to ponder whether I should smack my roommate with a wet sock, but my thought was interrupted when I glanced up for a moment and saw that I was not alone on this road. A sharp panic seized my heart, and I became very nervous. Oh, Shaw, a long distance up ahead of me, I could discern the soft silhouette of a figure. It was so far away that I could not tell whether it was moving ahead or in my direction. I froze, and I could feel the blood gushing in my temples. What were the chances of there being some malicious punk walking this street at this night looking to rob me or pick a fight? This was the reassuring thought I had as I tried to convince myself that I was safe. I tried to keep calm, to not let my nerves get the best of me. I mean, whoever this was was probably just as frightened of the prospects of me as I was of them, if they had already detected me, that is. I did not know what to do. Run? Eh, there's only two directions, Shaw. Continue walking? Hmm. What were the risks? As I stood there, I saw that the figure was indeed moving in my direction, and its form was becoming more defined. And this was the time I began to notice how awkward it was moving. The figure did not walk normal. It didn't bob up and down, 
Like how a normal person looks like when they walk? What was coming towards me, it would seem from my perspective, moved in short, quick, jerking movements. I could see from the what light was present how its twitchy limbs projected from its torso and how it was getting closer and how its head stuck out from a neck that was longer than any human neck should be and how at this time I could now faintly hear the noises that it seemed to make, the sound of suckling and how it was moving quicker and how its face lifted and I could see its eyes glare like glowing yellow beads, and how these beady wide eyes locked onto mine staring at me, and how it stopped, and how we both were there motionless yards away looking at each other, and how it then let out the most ungodly, inhuman screech I've ever heard, like a pig being gutted. It squealed violently, and the sound resounded through the bayou, and the chirping and croaking of crickets and frogs stopped. Everything stopped. Oh, shah! And the rumbling and humbling was all that could be heard afterwards. The rumbling and humming of a motor ahead, a vehicle speeding toward us, tires racing loudly. The thing in front of me hunched over and turned to see the headlights beaming our way. It hissed getting down on all fours, only pausing for a moment to turn back towards me, gawking at me with its wide eyes before crawling hastily into the swamp. The vehicle that scared the thing away was my roommate's car. He never saw it, whatever it was, and I never wanted to see it again. But, Shaw, I moved as soon as I could, and I have not been there since. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. I hope you enjoyed In the Bayou by Nihilist, as performed by yours truly. Up next, we've got one final round of frightening fiction for you. Our next terrifying tale comes to us from a formerly prolific creepy past author who goes by the name Creepy Cards. In it, We'll meet a young man whose parents haven't been treating him right, and the counselor who takes him under his wing, pledging to employ some rather unconventional methods to encourage his parents to show they care. Without further ado, I present to you World's Best School Psychologist. 
When I was 12, I came to the conclusion that everyone in the world, including my own family, was against me. I was never a problem child, but my parents sure treated me like one. For example, I used to need to be home by 5 p.m. every day. This clearly restricted my amount of playtime outdoors. I wasn't allowed to have friends over to play at the house, nor was I allowed to go over anyone else's. I had to finish homework directly after I came home from school, no matter how long it took. My parents refused to buy me video games and forced me to read books and then write a book report on them to prove I actually read it. Now, even those rules listed above were quite frustrating to me as a child. They weren't what upset me the most. What really hurt me was the lack of compassion on behalf of my parents. My mother was a bitter woman who always made me feel guilty of accidents or mistakes I've made. My father only knew one emotion, frustration. The only time he spoke to me was when he screamed at me for receiving poor test scores or beating me for misbehaving. But enough about them. Let's talk about my school's psychologist. For his own privacy, we will call him Dr. Tanner. Like most junior high schools, a psychologist is always available on campus during school hours to assist any students in need of counseling, whether it is emotional, academic, social, behavioral, etc. To be honest, I've never seen any students talking with Dr. Tanner. Every day, I would walk past his office on my way to the cafeteria and peek through his door's little window. He would always be alone in there, working on some paperwork. I guess that most kids were too afraid to speak about their problems to an adult who was practically a stranger. And for this reason, it took me three weeks to muster enough courage to go into his office. March 2nd, 1993, was the day I decided to voice my troubles to Dr. Tanner. During lunch break, I stood in front of his office door and knocked. Through the window, I could see him raise his head, smile, and motion for me to come in. I did. He greeted me by introducing himself and asking for my name. Dr. Tanner was a very soft-spoken man who seemed to radiate kindness. In less than 30 minutes, I rambled to Dr. Tanner about how mean my parents were to me and how they didn't care about me at all. After a while, my voice began to quiver, and I stopped speaking. The psychologist listened patiently to my whole spiel, arms folded, head nodding. I half expected him to begin talking about how everything I had just said was untrue and that my parents loved me dearly and blah blah blah, but he didn't. Dr. Tanner leaned toward me with a grin on his face and said, you know, I'm the best school psychologist in the world. I promise we will fix this. I rolled my eyes. Okay, but how? I asked. Of my ways, he replied. I'm a man of my word. I promise that within just one month, the relationship between you and your parents will change for the better forever. After a brief pause, he continued, although I do need you to make me a promise. You have to promise me that you'll come back to my office after school tomorrow and that you won't tell anyone that we had this conversation today. It'll be our little secret. I promised. 
The following day, I returned to Dr. Tanner after school. It was around 4 p.m. when I entered his office. After a warm welcome, he asked me to have a seat in front of his desk once again. Upon sitting down, I watched Dr. Tanner close the blinds of the door's tiny window. There, he smiled. Now we have all the privacy we need. We began to talk about my likes and interests, my favorite subjects in school, my least favorite teachers, and things of the like. About an hour into the conversation, Dr. Tanner offered me a soft drink. I gladly took the offer, considering my parents never allowed me to drink soda. Dr. Tanner reached over to his mini-fridge and fidgeted around before setting down two open cans of soda on the desk. Afterwards, we continued to talk about what was going on in my life, but it wasn't long before I passed out from whatever drugs Dr. Tanner placed in my drink. It took me a minute or so to adjust my blurred vision upon waking, and when it did, I had no idea what to think. I was handcuffed to a bed, and my mouth was sealed with duct tape. I immediately began to panic, squirming and tugging at the cuffs, but gave up soon after. My eyes widened in disbelief after looking around the room. There were posters of superheroes pinned up along the walls and photographs of famous athletes on shelves. In the middle of the room was an old television and Super Nintendo, various game cartridges stacked alongside it. I didn't know what to think. Here I am, in a room filled with items most kids would die to play with. I would probably have cried from joy hadn't I been handcuffed to a bed frame. My stomach sank once again as the door opened, and Dr. Tanner walked inside. He sat down on the edge of the bed. Now, listen, he said. Remember that I'm here to help you, and I would never hurt you, okay? Dr. Tanner gently removed the tape from my mouth and then the cuffs from my hands. My first instinct was to begin crying, but something about Dr. Tanner made me feel safe. He smiled at me. You're going to be staying here for a while, he continued, and during this time, you're allowed to play with any toys in this room while I'm here at home. But when I leave the house, I'll need to cuff one of your hands back to the bed. You can still watch the television, but I want you to only watch the news channels when I'm away. I sat in silence, still trying to process the information he had given me. So, Dr. Tanner yipped, slapping me on my knee. You go ahead, knock yourself out. I'll be back when it's time for dinner. He got up from the bed, walked across the room, and clicked the TV's power button before locking the door behind him. Several more minutes passed before I realized that Dr. Tanner wasn't joking. All that was left for me to do was boot up the Nintendo and play Mario until nightfall. At about 7 p.m., Dr. Tanner returned to the room, carrying two plates of mashed potatoes and chicken strips. I finally gathered up the courage to ask him how long I'd be staying in this room. Well, uh, about a month, he replied, give or take a few weeks. I just have some work I need to do. The following morning, I awoke to Dr. Tanner's hand patting my head. Hey, bud, you don't have to wake up right now, if you don't want, but I'm going to need to put this back on, he whispered, clamping the cold steel handcuff onto my wrist. I gazed up at him. He was wearing a collared shirt and slacks, a coat draped over his shoulder, and a suitcase at his side. He looked just how he always did when I saw him around school. Before leaving, he placed the TV's remote next to me and told me to turn it on and watch the news. The first thing I saw upon turning it on was a breaking news segment. 
An important-looking police officer stood at a podium surrounded by people with microphones. I happened to begin viewing halfway through the speech. A statewide Amber Alert has been issued as of this morning. We have several investigators working towards identifying potential abductors, but as of right now, there's not much evidence. Faculty members state that the boy had been last seen around 4 or 5 in the evening on... I began to feel nauseous as a photograph of me appeared on the screen. It was my yearbook picture from last year. Captions for the photograph displayed my name and age, my school, and my town, and above my picture were alternating titles. FBI begins search for child and kidnapping suspect unknown and potential runaway. The live footage continued and two figures I soon recognized as my mom and dad stepped up to the podium. Both appeared to have reddened eyes. Tears streamed down my mother's face as she took hold of the microphone. I'd never seen so much emotion come from my mother before as she wept on live television, stuttering on sentences such as, Please return my baby back to me, and I'm so sorry, and please come home to us. When my father took the microphone, I nearly expected his attitude to be stone cold, but he too had tears in his eyes. He pleaded to the world to bring his son home safely, and lastly begged for my forgiveness. I know I haven't been the best father, but goddammit do I wish I had been now. Please bring my boy back. I turned the power off shortly after. My emotions were mixed, for I had never seen once my father cry. I felt miserable that my parents were being put through so much, but at the same time I felt relief. I now know how much Mom and Dad loved me. Nearly four weeks have passed, and Dr. Tanner has been treating me with the utmost respect. He leaves me in the morning cuffed to the bed frame, but returns in the afternoon to eat lunch and dinner with me, talk and play games. I never would have guessed how good Dr. Tanner was at Monopoly and Scrabble. But one morning, when Dr. Tanner woke me before heading off to work, I noticed a stern look on his face. I also realized it was three hours earlier than he usually wakes me. You need to watch the news today, no exceptions. I want you to keep the television on all day and pay close attention to it, he stated grimly. I, of course, complied and watched him exit the room. About two hours later, a breaking news segment interrupted the toothpaste commercial I was watching. The title, Human Remnants Found. Two staunch-looking men in suits stood aside one another and began speaking. We are displeased to bring such unfortunate news this morning regarding our missing child case from earlier this month. One of the men bowed his head while the one speaking shuffled through some papers. He continued, Remains of a body have been found in a garbage bag beneath the highway overpass. The body appears to be that of a child, although not much of it is left. The body has been decapitated and much has been burnt to ash and bone. The screen shifted over to a helicopter view of the freeway. Dozens of police cars gathered near the bottom of a tall overpass. The man's voice could still be heard. Within the bag, police found a junior high school identification card labeled as such. The screen showed the school ID card I always kept in my backpack. The plastic was sort of melted away, but my photograph and name were intact. After the two men dismissed themselves, a the camera panned over to my parents. They were sitting among reporters. My mother's face held a painful grimace and my father sulked his head down at his knees. I shut the television off. Dr. Tanner returned home very late. 
He hurried into the room, unlocked my cuffs, and placed a bottle of fizzing water into my hand. He placed his hands onto my shoulders and smiled. I made you a promise, didn't I? I nodded, tears squeezing their way out of my eyes. You need to make me a promise again, he whispered. He told me that I needed to drink all the water in the bottle, it would help me sleep, and that from there on I am never to tell anyone that I ever met him. I promised. I told you, I'm the best school psychologist in the world, didn't I? And he was right. I awoke later that night to find myself lying in the middle of a park, stars shining brilliantly across the night sky. I recognized the park. It wasn't too far from my school. A mile or so down the road, I saw my house. The lights were off inside, but I could make out my father sitting on the step leading to the front door. I hesitantly called out to him. He lifted his head slowly, but when he saw it was me, he sprang to his feet, ran towards me, arms open, yelling my name. My mother erupted from the house behind him. Dr. Tanner was right. Things have changed with my family and I. My parents smile more often and treat me lovingly. I could not ask for a more perfect ending. Every now and then, I see Dr. Tanner on campus, talking to and from his office. Rarely do we ever make eye contact, let alone speak to one another, but sometimes he'll shoot me a wink and a smile. I'll always keep my promise to him and pretend I never met him, but there will always be one question forever floating in my mind. Who did Dr. Tanner decapitate and throw off the overpass? I hope you enjoyed World's Best School Psychologist by Creepy Carbs as performed by your schoolie. I'd like to personally thank you for joining me for this bonus episode of Scary Stories Told in the Dark, part of a new series in which I share a handful of the creepy tales from my extensive audio archive with you each and every Wednesday. If you enjoyed what you've heard, please take a moment to stop by our iTunes page or wherever else you listen to your favorite podcasts, and leave us a five-star review and a kind word. It makes a huge difference, and it would mean a lot to us. If you'd like to hear more content from my archive, as well as premium extended editions of my regular episodes featuring twice the terror, visit simplyscarypodcast.com today and click the Patrons link in the menu at the top of the screen. You'll find yourself at ChillingTalesForDarkNights.com where you can purchase season passes for this podcast and our other quality storytelling programs. Or become a patron for as little as $5 per month and get access to our entire audio archive dating back to 2012, all of it ad-free. If you happen to use Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or YouTube, you can follow and subscribe to Chilling Tales for Dark Nights there, where you'll get all of our latest updates and new releases and have the chance to interact with us each and every week. You can subscribe to me on YouTube as well at the Otis Jiry channel, where you'll receive releases of my series Horror Storytime dating back to 2014, and you can find me on Facebook 
Twitter, and Instagram, too. Just search for Otis Jiry. Until next time, stay spooky. Get some sleep. If you can. <laughs>Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. 
Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com.